so a couple things. First of all, today is the first Sunday of Advent, as we've talked about. Um, so that means that we are kicking off our Advent sermon series. Um, the booklets are ready for you to take home. Uh, and so on your way out this morning um, on the table, you're going to see a basket of booklets. Um, that's one per family. We've printed about one per family. Encourage you to take that home with you. This is meant to be somewhat of a family worship guide for you um, that we this Christmas season as a church family could go through this together. There are four devotionals in it, one for each of the Advent Sundays that goes along with um, the scripture that we're reading on Sunday mornings. And then there's a, a commentary to read aloud as a family, um, some discussion questions. I highly encourage to get the kids involved and asking the questions and reading out loud and talking about um, what the scriptures mean. And then there's a song, a recommended Christmas song to sing for you and your family. If uh, you want to YouTube a version of that or pick out the guitar and play it or just sing a cappella. Um, but these are meant to be a family worship guide for us as a church um, that on each of the Sundays of Advent, we would set aside time in our own family unit, whether that's one of you or 10 of you, and spend some time allowing the Lord to prepare your hearts uh, to truly celebrate Christmas this season. There's a daily uh, scriptural reading guide in the back, one for adults, one for kids from the Jesus Storybook Bible. And so that's just uh, meant to be a tool for you and your family this Christmas season. Um, also, the uh, Christmas store gifts are due today. I think the mission team will be here till 2 o'clock this afternoon um, accepting those. So even after the service, if you need to run home or run to Walmart or run somewhere real quick and bring that back, you've got time to do that. But they do need them back today to begin sorting through and getting all that ready to go for the Christmas store um, next weekend. So there's a reminder on that as well. All right. So we're going to be in Isaiah 8 and 9 this morning, chapters 8 and 9 of Isaiah. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible. We'll have these up on the screen as well. Um, I'm going to start with Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, which I believe will be a fairly familiar Christmas Bible verse for us this morning. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, most of us are familiar with that Bible verse. It's poetic, it's beautiful, reminds us of Christmas, but what in the world does it mean for us that the government would be upon his shoulder, that we would call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace? So to get to the depth of what Isaiah 9-6 means and what that means for us this Christmas season, we've really got to take a step back and look at the broader context of what God is saying through Isaiah in chapter 8 and chapter 9 together. So we're going to back up to chapter 8 of Isaiah. So in Isaiah chapter 8, 16 through 20, God describes the condition of of the hearts of the people of Israel. And here's what God says, that the people of Israel have begun to turn away from him and to begin to seek guidance and counsel in mediums and sorcerers and, and other spiritual sources. And so then when we get to verse 21, what, what, what we're going to get a description of is what happens as a result of that. Because God's people have turned from him to other things 
verse 21, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God, and they'll turn their faces upward, essentially turn their nose up at God. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. So an overview of what we just read. Um, Isaiah says, here's the condition of the hearts of the people of Israel. They've turned from God, began seeking counsel in other things. Now, here's the problem. They're going to begin to grow in distress, grow in hunger. And it's going to cause them to get angry with God and blame God. And then here's what's going to happen as a result. They're going to get hungrier, and that distress is going to grow into deep darkness. Now, this is not only describing what's going on in 7th century B.C., Israel, and the conditions of the, the hearts of the people of God, it's also a portrait of the greater human story. See, this is what happens in the garden in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve begin to seek counsel from someone other than God. They begin to listen to the voice of counsel that's twisted and perverted, and they begin to, to listen to twisted truth, and they begin to follow that twisted truth. And God told Adam and Eve in chapter 2, if you disobey me, you will surely what? Die. And so when Adam and Eve turned from God and began to turn to their own counsel or the, the counsel of the serpent, here's what happened. Sin and death entered the world. Long before Adam and Eve ever tasted physical, real, literal death, they died a thousand times spiritually. I mean, from the moment they sinned, there was brokenness in their relationship. From the moment that they turned from God, there was brokenness in their relationship with God. And they began to experience death a thousand times over. And they began to walk in darkness. And at that moment in Genesis 3, what happens is this, this curse, this shadow of sin and death is cast across the human story. So the psalmist says in Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of. He's describing life and turmoil that you experience here on earth. This is the reason why so many of us have experienced affliction on some level. Whether it's depression or anxiety or physical illness or loss of somebody you love or the betrayal of a good friend. All of those are marks of the shadow of death. Anytime that happens, that pain and that anguish you feel is the distress being described here in Isaiah 8. It's the taste of death. It's the darkness of the shadow of death. And not only is that the human story in the big picture, it's our story as well. That's why in Ephesians 2, we read this last Sunday, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It's why in Romans chapter 8, the apostle Paul says, here's the deal. We, we stand here today with creation between the two advents of Christ, his first arrival, waiting on his second arrival, and we groan with creation. Creation is groaning like a, like a woman in childbirth, longing for what? For the return of Christ to make all things right. Why? Because of this present darkness. 
you've ever wondered, why is the world so dark? Why is there evil in the world? This is the reason. When we turn from God to our own counsel, we turn from God to find our joy and peace in other things, right? Darkness swallows us up, right? We don't become satisfied. We become less satisfied, right? It doesn't fix our distress. We become more distressed. And so what I love about not only Isaiah, but the story of the Bible is that God not only sees our darkness and our distress, he loves us too much to leave us there. That's what Christmas is about. And so now we go to Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness. We'll stop right there. In the context, it's the people of Israel who are walking in darkness, deep darkness. In the bigger story, it's you and I. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Now, it's speaking in past tense terms. This is a prophetic word. Isaiah is calling the people of Israel to look forward to the first advent of Christ. That there will come a day when we say, you know what? A light has shone on us. Hope has met us in our distress, in our darkness. And from that will come great joy. I love that the word joy is up here on the stage. I didn't plan that. I came in this morning and saw it. I thought, perfect. I think joy is such a great example of what we're talking about today. Because, see, there are two different types of joy. There's contingent joy. Joy that comes when circumstances make me happy. A joy that comes when relief comes from my pain. Joy that comes when things go my way. That's contingent joy. That's not the joy of the Lord, by the way. If you're waiting on God to fix your circumstances to get happy, you're not waiting on joy from the Lord. You're waiting on a joy and happiness that comes from the world around you changing, right? So what we're talking about, though, is a joy that's not contingent. We're talking about light that comes to us in the midst of the darkness. A joy that you can only have from knowing Jesus as your personal Savior. This is the light that shines in the darkness. I was thinking about this. My father-in-law has been through three bouts with cancer. Um, The first of which was when my wife was in high school Um, The second of which happened about a year into our marriage, and his cancer returned. And it was a a form, a rare form of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He had already been through all the chemo and radiation the first time. So doctors said, now here's the thing, Roger. We only have one option left, stem cell transplant. It's the only option we have. If this doesn't work, we don't have anything left. It's all or nothing. So we prayed. By faith, we went into this and said, it's all or nothing. God, if you choose to heal, we'll give you glory. If you choose not to heal, we'll give you glory. And praise God, the, the, the stem cell transplant worked for a while, right? Because even the best medicine and medical efforts can, can only hold back the darkness for a time. Roger still has to die one day, whether it's cancer or heart attack or old age or whatever it is. We're all 
going to have to experience and face that physical death. So we're not talking about a joy that comes only when the cancer's cured. We're talking about a joy that's here even if it's not, even if it comes back, right? And so, like, everybody in this room has tasted, right, the darkness that this world has to offer in some form, whether it was the divorce you experienced when, you're, when you were little and your parents got divorced and that, that void and the anguish you felt that you didn't understand. That's, that's a taste of darkness, Maybe, maybe not, not even maybe, many of us in this room have been abused, physically, sexually, emotionally abused. That pain and that anguish that you feel, that distress, that's the taste of darkness. That's encountering evil. Others of us have experienced it maybe in different ways. Depression, anxiety, stress in general. Again, medical diagnosis or the medical diagnosis of somebody that you love. These are all examples of life here on earth walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And what we're talking about today is hope in the midst of all of that, joy in the midst of all of that. And so Isaiah points the people of Israel forward and says, hope is on the way. Hope is on the way. There's a great light that will shine in our deep darkness. And here will be the result. It will increase our joy. Now, next in verses 4 and 5, we're also going to read about God's enemies. And before we read it, just a little help here. Now Isaiah is going to refer to the enemies of God using illustrations from the Old Testament. Like the Exodus, when the people of God were in slavery and bondage under Pharaoh. Um, like uh, the time where um, Gideon led the battle um, in the Valley of Midian. So these Old Testament examples are going to be used to describe how God is going to overcome his enemies. So let's read 4 and 5. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. Most commentators think that's a reference to Pharaoh himself, how he how he ruled over the people of God with brutal force, with with vicious tactics. You have broken as on the day of Midian. This is the example of Gideon where he's there with his army of over 30,000 soldiers looking into the valley of of Midian and thinking to himself, we've got this. We can do this. We're going to do this. And as Gideon goes to take a step forward in battle, God stops him and says, whoa, 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 stop. There's a problem here, Gideon. What's the problem, God? You've got too many soldiers. What? You've got too many soldiers. You need to send several thousand of them home. And through this refining process, God eliminates the army and reduces the army to 300 men. And God says what? Now when you get victory, you'll know it was me. If you went into that battle with over 30,000 warriors, you would have made the mistake of thinking you won the battle on your own. I'm going to do it in such a way you know it's me. See, that's the reference here to Midian, this example of God working in our lives, overcoming our enemies in such a way that we know it's him. So in the bigger story of God, who is the actual enemy? Satan is. And what are his primary tactics and tools for battle in our lives? Sin and death. That's what he wants for you, sin and death. And so what we're reading about here is a prophetic looking forward to a day when somebody would come and overcome sin and death. Who is that? We know the answer now. Who is that? It's Jesus, right? That's the 
The point of the death, burial, and resurrection, the resurrection is victory. That's Jesus going to battle against sin and death and Satan and stepping out of the tomb and saying, I've got this. I've secured it. The victory is one for you and one for me. And here in Isaiah, looking forward, God speaks to the prophet Isaiah saying, there's going to come a day where God's going to roll up the garments of his enemies. Listen to, this is verse 5. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. This is a beautiful description of God saying, I will one day roll up my enemies and I'll burn them. Sin and death will be destroyed. Now there's hope in that, isn't there? Like, that's not God promising you that starting tomorrow, no more struggle with depression for the rest of your life. If that happens, that's awesome. Give God the glory. Right? That doesn't mean that if you come down to the altar and pray, your addiction's gone, and you'll never want that substance or that thing again. You may still struggle with those things. What God is saying to you and I is that we look forward now to the second coming of Christ when he will come and roll all that mess up and burn it. Amen? That's what the people of God are looking for. That's our hope in the midst of darkness. That's our joy in the midst of affliction and suffering. And even 700 years before Jesus comes to earth, the prophet Isaiah is telling the people of God, look forward, something better is coming. Then in verse 6 now we read about this one who would come and rescue us. Verse 6. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And here's what, here's what God's saying through Isaiah. I'm sending you a better king. Don't look for hope in this world. Don't look for hope in your political leaders. The next president isn't going to fix your problems. The darkness that shrouds our lives can only be fixed by a better king. And he's coming. The government shall be upon his shoulders. Wonderful counselor. One who leads with wisdom. Mighty God, that literally could be translated, God is a warrior. Baby Jesus came to earth to be a warrior for you and for me. One who leads with wisdom, a mighty warrior, an everlasting father or everlasting eternal protector. He wants to protect you. A prince of peace, one who would finally bring peace on earth and goodwill to men. Not by fixing your momentary circumstances, but by giving you an eternal hope in a better home, in a better kingdom. Now that verse begins to mean a little bit more, doesn't it? It begins to stir our hearts, prepare us for worship. This also leads us to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We're going to step into the conversation between the angel and Mary. So in verse 30, the angel is speaking to Mary. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, 
you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You should call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high God. Here's what the angel is saying to Mary in that moment. Mary, everything that God promised through the prophet Isaiah 700 years ago is about to happen through your womb. Isaiah 9, 6, to us, a son is given to us, a, a son is, a child is born. It's about to happen, Mary, and it's going to happen through your womb. You're going to conceive, you're going to give birth. It's not going to be just any other baby boy. This baby boy is going to be the son of the most high God. See, that's the beginning of what we celebrate at Christmas. Just further down in Luke chapter 1, a description, a prophetic description of John the Baptist in verse 76. If you don't have a lot of biblical knowledge, John the Baptist is a cousin of Jesus. So Mary's sister Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. The Old Testament says that one would come and prepare the way for the rescuer, the Messiah. That's John. But while John the Baptist is, is in the womb, um, there's a prophetic word about what he would do. Listen to this about John the Baptist and his relationship to baby Jesus. Verse 76, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. That's what John's going to do. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Look at verse 78. Because the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to do what? Give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. You see the connection there? Jesus is coming to fulfill everything that God promised through Isaiah, to be the light that shines in our darkness and to bring us peace. That's why Colossians chapter 1, we read this earlier, verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Matthew chapter 11, in contrast to Pharaoh, who led with a heavy yoke and heavy burdens, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'll be a better king. Psalm 23, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. See, the rods and the staffs of this world, they don't comfort me, they hurt me, they break me, they remind me of the shadow of death, but the presence of God in my life brings comfort. Why? Because he's a better king. See, Christmas is about us celebrating the birth of of our king. It's about God sending light into our darkness, joy into our affliction, hope in the midst of distress. 
I want to I land here today with two questions. I don't know everybody here. I certainly don't know your life story. I wonder if you have come to the place in your life journey where you've trusted personally in Jesus and him alone. If you've come to that place in your journey where you've realized, I need to quit trusting in the stuff around me, the people around me, the things I can do to try to make my life better. I need to quit trusting in that stuff. I need to let go of that stuff, and I need to take hold of Jesus and trust in him alone. If that's you, I'm going to pray that you would make that decision today, that you would step in faith towards God and say, I'm ready. Let's do this. I'm ready to surrender it all, to lay it all down, to become yours, to become a Christian. And I pray that if that's you, you'll make that decision today. And in a moment, we're going to have prayer partners um, at the front of the room in the back. They're here to pray with you. I I hope you'll um, courageously step out of your seat, grab one of our prayer partners, and let them pray with you and talk with you about making this decision. And for the rest of us here, here's my next question. I wonder, in your own personal struggles with whatever you're struggling with, whatever version of affliction, whatever version of darkness is is seeking to distress you, I wonder, have you truly trusted Jesus to be your light in the midst of that darkness? Have you truly trusted Jesus to be your joy in the midst of that affliction and suffering? And if not, I'm gonna pray you do that today. Bring your darkness to him. Bring your affliction to him. Bring your depression to him. Bring your anxiety to him. Bring your addiction to him. Bring your pain and suffering to him. Bring it to him. Say, Lord Jesus, I trust you. Be my light in the midst of this darkness. Be my joy in the midst of this affliction. I'm going to pray for us now, and I'm going to invite our our prayer partners to go ahead and make their way to their place, and I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up and lead us. Um, As we pray together, let's do that. Um, Father, thank you. God, thank you for your goodness to us in sending Jesus. Father, thank you for not only seeing the darkness of our lives, but for loving us too much to leave us here. God, thank you for your forgiveness and your mercies. Lord Jesus, we thank you for not only dying on the cross, but for for resurrecting victoriously. Thank you for giving us hope. Thank you for giving us joy. Thank you for giving us peace. Father, this morning for the person who's here who's never taken that step of faith to trust in Jesus, I pray you'd begin removing those barriers, God. Whatever doubts are in the way, whatever fears are in the way, you just remove those this morning. Give that person the faith and the courage to to step out and trust in Jesus. God, I pray for for the vast majority of the rest of us, God, that that even though we know you, God, that today would be a day of trusting you even more deeply. That, God, we we would taste a joy this morning that isn't contingent on everything going my way but that, that, God, we would trust you in the midst of everything not going my way. God, would you give us a a joy that is not contingent on circumstances changing. God, would you be a light in the midst of our darkness today. We pray these things in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ.